0: My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus Christ, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Well, good morning. Glad you're here. You guys glad you're here or not? Okay, good. Sounds like it. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us. Uh, right now from an offsite campus or uh, on the internet or maybe uh, a podcast, wherever you happen to be, we're glad that you're along too. Let me tell you something about the group here at Long Point. They, I'm just looking around. They look, they look like they slept an extra hour or two last night. They look great. Looking alert, uh, well-fed. Uh, this is going to be fun. Loving it. Hey, can I ask you guys a question? Just real quick. How many of you have ever felt intimidated about sharing your faith ever felt a little nervous about a little uncomfortable like this is like you know this is kind of a hard deal about sharing your faith or anybody okay three people all right good let's see if i got another message uh, in here i think we all do from time to time you know we know instinctively that the bible says jesus said go into all the world and make disciples preach the good news and yet when it And we affirm that mentally, but when it comes to us personally, eh, you know, a little nervous. So what is preaching? I don't know if I'm a preacher. What does that mean? How many of you ever were in a church where you had Monday night visitation? Anybody there? Okay. Uh, let me tell you, the church I grew up in, I grew up in church, my great church. My dad was a preacher, small church. And uh, when I was 15 years old, the church, this dad decided along with some other pastors that, we're going to knock on every door in Denver and share the good news. And uh, what, what you would do is you would knock on the door and you'd ask him a question. If, if you were to die today, what would you say to Jesus? You know, uh, why would you go to heaven or whatever? Question, great question, but kind of intimidating to cold call strangers. You know, and just kind of ask that. And uh, then you'd give them some literature information about the church, about Jesus, about all of that. And if they weren't there, then you just left the information. We The the drill was we were going to do this for four successive Saturday mornings. Now, I'm 15 years old and too cool for words. But my dad was the pastor, and he was, you know, my as, as a pastor I had to obey, and as a father... That was back before it wasn't cool to be violent to your kids. I had to, you know, I just kind of had to do whatever I had to do. And so I'm there every morning, and and what they would do is we would have like an hour together for breakfast and encouragement, pep talk and what have you. Then they would take you out two by two to a neighborhood and drop you off. I I couldn't drive yet. Drop you off, and then the two of you would go, you know, those, those streets, and then you would come back, they'd pick you up, You'd come back and we'd have testimonies about, you know, leading people to Jesus and all this kind of stuff. And so that, that's how it went. So here's what I would do is with my two, I would go, let's not both go to the door together. Let's take each different side of the street. And then I would take my side of the street and I would look like I was really knocking hard on the door, but I was stopping just before I got there. Because if nobody answered, then I could just leave the literature. You know, you know what I mean? And the, I would leave extra literature, you know, so that my literature would run out and all that kind of stuff. And then, and then I, I hate to admit this, but we just got to be transparent honest, right? One week, uh, about the last week or second to last week or whatever we were doing this, uh, the numbers weren't right. In other words, the, 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 it was an odd number. That we're, I was in a group of three. And I said, hey, well, we can fix that. I'm good at this now. Why don't you just drop me off by myself? I can take a whole neighborhood myself. You guys go to another one. We'll do twice as much work. I said, okay, that's great. So what did I do? I got to the neighborhood. Immediately when they left, I found a McDonald's, went, dumped all the literature in the trash, had a burger, a little drink, and then came back to the pickup place and lied about, you know, all the people that came to Jesus. Isn't that horrible? This is your pastor. (laughs) Sharing the good news was intimidating to me. And I, I think that if a lot of you would agree, you know, just kind of, you know, what do you, what do you do? I mean, that's just, I, you know, I, is that the way it has to be? And I No, it is. It doesn't have to be that way. In fact, here's what we're doing. We're starting a new series today and it's going to be up till Easter. And we're going to be studying Acts 17, 18 and 19. And we're calling it Proclaimed. And the reason we're calling it Proclaimed in Acts 17, 3, Paul says this, he says, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. It's the Christ. And so, and so um, Acts 17 offers, that we're going to study today, offers some background and some really solid information about how Paul did that. It's uh, one of his missionary journeys. And in Acts 17, he goes to three different groups of people and he shares the good news. So what I want to do, we've got a lot of work to do. So I'm going to get right into it. I want to read Acts 17. I want to make a few comments on it. Then at the end, what we're going to do is we're going to pull out three principles that will help you and I in fulfilling the Great Commission. Jesus said to all of us, you go into the world and make disciples, preach the good news. And I think by the end, we'll kind of have a, a, a better grip on it. it won't be, I'm going to try to demystify this whole evangelism thing. So let's jump in. Acts 17. If you have a Bible, you can uh, grab that and read along. If not, I think the words are probably going to be on the screen. I couldn't put all of them on the outline sheet, so they'll be on the screen. Uh, Acts 17 and verse 1. It says, Now Paul and Silas traveled through the towns of... I can't pronounce them. They're Greek towns and I'm sure they're wonderful places. And he came to Thessalonica. Now why can't I pronounce Thessalonica? Because... There's a book in the Bible called Thessalonians. Thessalonians. And guess what? It's about the people in Thessalonica. Say Thessalonica together with me. Thessalonica. Okay. So Paul goes to a couple of other places. And then he goes to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. Now let me tell you what I know about Thessalonica. It's a town of about 200,000 people. So what's that? About one-third the size of Charleston. Maybe half as many as Columbia. Um, and it 's Greek, but it 's uh, been Roman for probably a couple hundred years by then. Roman culture um, we 'd call it religious, but certainly not um, god fearing as, as the as the one true God, lots of gods, lots of Roman stuff, but there are a lot of Jews there who who follow the one the, the one God because of the dispersion of the Jews. And so th- they had a synagogue. And it says that Paul, as was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service. Every Saturday on the Sabbath, they would have a service. And for three Sabbaths in a row, in other words, he was there for at least three weeks, he interpreted scriptures. He is a rabbi. And so he has a kind of an open mic time, and he gets up and he interprets the scriptures to the people. He was explaining and proving the prophecies about the suffering of the Messiah and His rising from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. A couple of things here. Paul's a Jew. He has a custom. He goes to the synagogue. Everywhere he goes, he goes to the synagogue. And there he takes the scrolls and the scriptures, the Old Testament. We call it the Old Testament. And he begins to, to prove that Jesus was the Messiah because it's, it's a common ground for everybody there. They're all waiting for a Messiah to come. The Messiah that they're waiting on is going to be a conquering king. He uh, is going to set the things that are wrong right. Uh, they feel like he probably has a political agenda because they're under terrible Roman you know, domination and the Messiah is going to come. He's going to set them free. Everyone knows that. And they're all thinking about that. So they're always watching for the Messiah. And they know about Jesus because he created quite a stir. Because when he was in Israel uh, walking the the earth, he got quite a crowd for a couple of reasons. Number one, he healed people, which was amazing. But number two, they're all looking for the Messiah. And the fact that he was doing the stuff said, this could be the one we've waited for. The problem was, is that he got himself crucified on a cross which shattered the whole... He was a failure. He was a failure in their eyes. This cannot be the Messiah. The Messiah is going to be the conquering king. So they wrote him off, checked his name off. Okay, that's not the Messiah. Let's keep looking for him. And so Paul goes to the Jewish synagogues and he argues from Old Testament Scripture, from the prophets. He says, hey, time out. Listen, did you know that Isaiah predicted that the Messiah was going to suffer? Some people go, hmm... I didn't see that. And Paul argues that from the Scriptures that Jesus was and is the Messiah. Let's go on. Some who listened were persuaded and became converts, including a large number of godly Greek men and also many important women in the city. So they have some success. Verse 5. But the Jewish leaders were jealous So they gathered some worthless fellows from the streets to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason. That's where Paul was staying, searching for Paul and Silas so that they could drag them out into the crowd. So what do you do now? I mean, they're preaching the gospel, having some success. Here comes Jewish leaders are jealous of what's going on. They get some rabble-rousers. We need to stand up to them, right? Well, sometimes that's not the best idea. Um when in a dangerous situation sometimes it's not, not good in fact in the words of the great theologian Kenny Rogers you've got to know when to you got to know when to you got to know when to and you've got to know when to okay so that, that was Paul's philosophy so he ran okay. you guys are tracking with us here so he goes to the next town Acts 17.10. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the synagogue. Why? Because that was his habit. It was his custom. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message, and they searched the Scriptures day after day to check up on Paul and Silas to see if they were really telling the truth. So the people in Berea, says they were, they were more open minded. What they would do is they would come and Paul would tell them, "Okay, Jesus is the Messiah. And here's the proof and all this kind of stuff." And rather than just kind of sitting there and go, "Yeah, prove it to me. I don't believe this. Whatever," they had an open mind. And they'd get excited about it. and Then they'd go search out the scriptures, and you know, that's, that's a picture of how we need to be. It's when we come into the into the place where the scriptures are read. Just really an open mind. I mean, some people pride themselves these days. Well, I'm like the Bereans. You know, just prove it to me. Well, that's not what the Bereans were like. The Bereans were, man, this is great news. Let's make sure it's true. So they would go and they would check it out. Now, they, where did they go? They wouldn't go home because they it wasn't. You know, they didn't have blackberries and iPhones U version and you know the Bible. Ever, in fact, there wasn't the Old Testament, which was their Bible at the time. There wasn't those available anywhere except for in the synagogue. And they went to the synagogue once a week. You know, kind of got their ticket punched. Some of you know how that goes. But they are so excited about what God's, what Paul's teaching them, that they start going to synagogue every day. And they're searching the scriptures, because that's the only place the scriptures were, to see if what he said was true. And so as a result... Some who listened, uh, let's see, as a result, many Jews believed, as did some of the prominent Greek women and many men, just like the other place. The same thing happened there as happened in Thessalonica in verse 13. But when some Jews in Thessalonica, some of the leaders who were jealous, learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there and they stirred up trouble. The believers acted at once in sending Paul onto the coast. While uh, Silas and Timothy remained behind. Those escorting Paul went with him to Athens. And then they returned to Berea with a message for Silas and Timothy to hurry up and join him. What do we know about Athens? Now, that's the city we know about. Uh, that is a city that is the most famous of the Greek cities. It is kind of the... It's named after the Greek goddess Athena and, and it's built around this this rock, this, this hill uh, called the Acropolis. Debbie and I went there last year we were on our way to the Holy Land. I've told this story before, and we were on a boat. And the boat burned, right? So we never got to the Holy Land. We'll get there again someday. But one place we did get was Athens. Beautiful, this, this, this rock in the middle of the city. They've got the, the, the uh, architecture there's all lit up. It's just incredible. It? it was the center of ideas. It was the intellectual capital of the entire Area. So Paul got there early, and so he's kind of doing the tourist thing. You know, he's hanging out, kind of going around, finding out what there is to do in Athens. Next verse. While Paul was waiting for them, he was deeply troubled by all of the idols that he saw everywhere in the city. Deeply troubled. In fact, in the Greek, it's just really strong. He just it just busted up inside over this. It's like. It's like he's thinking, this is the city of ideas. This is the city of intellectual capital. And yet they worship stuff that is just stuff, and it has no return, and it's empty at the end of it, and it's leading people astray, and he's upset about it. In fact, if you study the whole culture during that time, it is very, very similar, Athens is, to where we are in America today, and especially where Europe is today. It's like, okay, you believe what you want to believe. I'm going to believe what I want to believe. I'll worship, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. You believe anything you want. And it sounds real inclusive and kind of altruistic, but the truth is, it leads to ruin. And Paul is upset about it because he said, there is truth. There is a way. And so he... He's concerned, and he's kind of consumed with that. And so, it says he went to the synagogue to debate with the Jews. There's kind of an apathy even among the Jews, and and then uh, the God fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. So he'd, he'd go to the public square, and there's ideas flowing everywhere, and he began to talk about his ideas and. The Bible says that they thought he was a, they, first they labeled him just as a babbler. You know, he just, it's like, kind of like talk radio, just you know, ideas everywhere. He's just one of them and just a babbler. But pretty soon it began to take root and he got a hearing on Mars Hill. Now, What's Mars Hill? Mars Hill is not so much about a hill as it is about an experience in a place. It's kind of like, if you ever been to Washington, do you know where Capitol Hill is? Not much hills around there, but Capitol Hill is, is kind of the center of the universe in the United States. And when you get a hearing on Capitol Hill, that can either be good or bad. Ask the Toyota executives. And so Paul gets a hearing on Mars Hill, which is the capital of the universe at that particular point, among the council. And so he goes up there. He says, so Paul, next verse, standing before the council addresses them as follows. Men of Athens... I notice that you're very religious. For I was walking along the city and I saw your many altars and one of them had this inscription on it to an unknown God. You've been worshiping him without knowing who he is and now I just wish to tell you about him. So what's he doing? He's finding common ground with him. He's real ticked off about the religious deal. You know? But he compliments them. He says, You guys are obviously very spiritual, very religious, but you've got this altar to an unknown God. Let me tell you who the unknown God is. What was up with the unknown God? Well, they had gods for everything. I mean, they, they just, you know, it's like, Hey, your God's great. You know, you, you worship that God. Let's put him in here. And they had gods for uh, work gods. They had the gods of cows. They had the gods of corn. They had family gods. They actually had a god of baby food. They had uh, gods uh, of. Uh, of hilarity god of sarcasm god of discouragement and in fact i even heard that they had a god for perpetually heartbroken cubs fans way back then way back then they had this god and so so they didn't want to offend anybody's god you know, let's just include them all so this they, they kind of had a catch-all god the god of the, the 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 unknown god so that it there wouldn't be a god that would be offended oh this is you right here it's the unknown god And so Paul jumps on that and he says, let me tell you who the unknown God is. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need there is. From one man he created all the nations throughout all the whole earth. And he decided beforehand which should rise and which should fall. And he determined their boundaries. His purpose in all of this was that the nations should seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him, though He is not far from any of us. For in Him we live and move and exist. And as one of your own poets said, we are His offspring." And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's former ignorance about these things. But now He commands everyone everywhere to turn away from idols and to turn to Him. For He has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man He has appointed. And He proved to everyone who this is by raising Him from the dead. Here's what's interesting. Here's what Paul does. Paul goes into a pagan culture and he preaches the gospel without ever mentioning the name of Jesus or talking about the Messiah. Uh, What's up with that? Well, the deal is they didn't know about Jesus. They weren't steeped in religion. They had no idea what a Messiah was. I mean, he could easily have... Here's what he's preaching. If you look at his sermon, where he's going is... Let me do a quiz right here. Have you know the Ten Commandments? Have you heard of those Ten Commandments? What's the first commandment? Have no other God before you, right? Don't have images. Don't make idols. Well, he could have gotten up and gotten a bullhorn. Y'all are going to hell. You're going right to hell. You've got idols everywhere. The first commandment. Don't you know the first commandment? They go, no, we don't know any commandments not what he did. That's not very effective anyway. But that's not what he did. He went, well, let me contextualize it to you. And he preached the gospel without even mentioning Jesus. He talked about somebody being raised from the dead, which piqued curiosity, which we'll find in just a minute. But you know what? Be careful about being real. <laughs> there are so many Christians that are so legalistic today, you know that they kind of keep score during church. How many times? A guy stopped me the other day. Well, you guys didn't mention this, 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 this. You know, is this really a Christian church? Yes, it's a Christian church. (laughs) My goodness. You guys know I like to Twitter and all that kind of stuff. Every Sunday morning is kind of fun in the Twitter world because pastors are encouraging one another i got a bunch of, you know, hundreds of pastors that I'm in co- contact with. And they're all, you know, go get it. Knock it over the fence today. You know, give the devil a black eye, whatever. And uh, this, this one guy, this one guy a few weeks ago, he twitters and he's really gospel-centered, gospel. And it's good to be gospel-centered, but we, you can be legalistic and be gospel-centered. And he twitters and he goes, uh, if you're a pastor today and you don't mention the name of Jesus, I hope you die while you're preaching. I thought, boy, that's encouraging. That really is. That just. And what would he say to Paul who never mentioned Jesus? Did Paul believe in Jesus? Yes. Did he preach the gospel? Yes. Did he tick off the religious people who were keeping score? Yes. So put your scorecards away, okay? All right? Paul just preaches the he contextualizes the gospel. And guess what happened? When they heard Paul speak of the resurrection of a person who had been dead, some laughed, but others said, You know what? We want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. There was some success. Among them were Dionysus, a member of the council, and a woman named Damaris, and Others so that 's the chapter, and what I want to do is I want to learn from because it 's easy for us to see when we 're talking about this whole evangelism thing and showing the good news we see that as as among a professional class of christian. oh Paul, he was professional billy graham he 's professional he 's an evangelist greg he 's professional now in a sense i am i 'm paid to be good you 're good for nothing okay. <laughs> We have different gifts, different vocations, but we all have the same calling: go into all the world, you're part of the world, and share the good news, preach the gospel. So what I want to do is demystify that. How can we do that effectively? Let me give you three ideas from what we just read. Number one, be intentional. Be intentional. Paul was intentional. Paul had a habit. He had stuff that he did regularly. He understood. It's my responsibility. So God, I'm going to infuse my daily habits with the gospel. Acts 17.2. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service. He's going to plant a church. He wanted to plant churches in all these places. And he's intentional about the gospel. When we planted Seacoast, we were intentional and still are about the gospel, we didn't want to just you know come to town, put up a put up a sign, and attract all the Christians to the best show in town because there'll always be another show. Okay. And it's kind of funny to watch Christians—they kind of flock to which show's good. Show me the stuff. What's good? That's just so shallow. We don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. There are better shows in town now. What we wanted to do was let's be intentional about reaching people who need to hear the gospel. And uh, so you guys know the whole story about how we did that. We started to be intentional. We had a heart for people that had lost their way, worshiping stuff that was empty. I was upset like Paul was, walking around this city and seeing people who were worshiping their kids and worshiping money and worshiping their jobs and their career, worshiping entertainment, all of which are good things, but none should be worshipped. And if you put them in the wrong place, remember we did a message a few weeks ago, if you put the second things first, then you lose the first and the second things. And just saw that, and it was like, we've got to preach the gospel. It broke our hearts. And so our goal has always been to present the gospel, contextualized, to present the gospel in the most profoundly simple way possible. Still my goal. Easter's coming in a few weeks. My goal every Easter is to preach the most profoundly simple gospel message so everybody gets it. Everybody gets it. You know, some people some people equate hard to understand with being deep. Okay? Oh, I didn't understand that today. Did you? No, I didn't either. It was deep. It's really deep, deep stuff. That's meat. Yeah, I choked on it. It was so deep. No, 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 no. Time out. Even Einstein, one of the smartest guys of our time, said if the solution is simple, then God is at work. That's pretty profound, isn't it? So we started this church. We caught a lot of heat from Christians. Still do every once in a while. Here was the deal. They devalued us. Leaders were jealous. It's a seeker church. They only care about seekers. Guess what? So does God. Okay? They don't care about... Okay, you can go to Seacoast for a little while if you want to get saved. But if you want to go deep, you're going to have to go somewhere else because they're a seeker church. I had a pastor that just recently sent me a letter of apology. said, you know what? I spread that garbage. And I am so sorry. God has convicted my heart. We're all on the same team. And that's not true about you guys. I've met some of your people and it's not but but that's what then what it was it was either or thinking. You need to see this. Either or thinking Something has to be either this or that. You're either, you know, you're either uh either you care about seekers or you, you know, you're you're deep. If you care about seekers then you're shallow. Either or, okay? Either or. That'd be like saying either you're from Tennessee or you're smart. Huh? I know people from Tennessee that are smart. Do you? Yeah, I'm from Oklahoma. I can say the same thing. It's not either or. It's both and. We separate each other when we get to this whole either or deal. You know, it's just we make camps and categories, and that's just garbage, 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 garbage. They water down the gospel. It's a feel good church. Well, it is kind of a feel good church. I think you should feel better after you come in and leave than when you got here. Would you agree with that? It's the good news, not the bad news. How do you know that? Some people got that all messed up. It's the bad news. It's awful. You're going to hell. Well, yes, I know, but Jesus came and he died, and that's the good news. Came for sinners like me. That's good news. Good news. They water it down. No, we don't water anything down. Put it in context of everyday life. I love how Tim Keller says it. Contextualization is not giving people what they want, it's giving God's answers, which they probably don't want, to the questions that they are asking in forms that they can comprehend. That's what Paul did. So, what we try to do, we try to be intentional. Now, not just churches are intentional, but people are intentional because the people is made up of churches. And so, Paul just didn't wait. Well, I hope somebody comes and hears the gospel. No, he was intentional about it. He put the gospel in his daily lifestyle. He had a custom. His custom was what? I'm going to go to the synagogue. You have a custom. What's yours? I'm going to go to the gym. Great. Put the gospel in it. I'm going to go to Starbucks. Great, put the gospel in it. I'm going to go to a play date. You know, moms get together their kids. You know, and they take all these little crumb crunchers to a park. Plus their dogs. They put their dogs in this pen, the crumb crunchers in this pen, and they kind of talk. That's great. It's your custom. Put the gospel in it. How many of you are you going to go to a restaurant after church today? Probably. Oh, you're fasting. Okay. Well, whatever. <laughs> That's great. I didn't know. Is it a whole church-wide thing or is it just... Okay. Put the gospel in it. All you do is everything that you do, you pray and say, God, saturate this airplane trip with the gospel. Make me attentive to people who are far from you or maybe who have were with you and kind of have gone away. And let me say something good or, you know, when a question comes, or maybe there'll be an opportunity for me just to kind of Put a little bit of the gospel in it. That's, that's how you become intentional with the gospel, right? Uh, so be intentional if you want to be effective. second thing you do is be prepared. You got to be prepared. How? Three things I saw in Paul. Number one, you study the culture. You study the culture. You know, when we come to Christ and we really soak ourselves in the Holy Spirit, we get in a small group and we come to church every week, then we become a part of a city within a city, okay? we, we're, we And that's good. That's good. But we can become so kind of inoculated to the city outside of us, to the culture outside of us, that it, that we're not really effective in doing what Jesus called us to do, which was to make disciples and preach the good news. And so you've got to study the culture. Don't shelter yourself from all things non-Christian. I'm going to give you an example. It's just going to... Well, whatever. I'll, I'll let it fall where it may. Um, my television habits are this. I watch ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN Classic, Fox Sports, uh, the news, and The Office. Okay? That's that's how, how I roll. That's my deal. All right? The Office, I love it. Classic this week. But whatever. So a few months ago... I happen to be watching the MTV Video Awards the night that Kanye West dissed Taylor Swift. Some of you are familiar with that. And I just happen to be watching it. It's not my habit. I wouldn't recommend making it a habit. I certainly would have rules with your kids. I'm not sure MTV promotes exactly what I am about. But there are people that I love who are in the culture? And here was a big cultural event. And some, some, uh, somebody in the church wrote on their Facebook or whatever. I can't believe my my pastor was watching the MTV because I tweeted about it, and th- that makes me feel so good that he was actually in tune with that. Other people thought probably thought he's going, he, he's going liberal on us. I know he's going liberal on us. It's just <laughs> churches, uh, the, you know. No, no. What, what the deal was is here was a cultural event that there were going to be a shared event that a lot of people watch. I'm going to watch it so I can comment. And maybe I can put the gospel in the context of it. Paul quoted their poets, for goodness sake. He said, as one of your own poets says, he's preaching the gospel, says, we are his offspring. Today, contextualize today, that, that'd be like him quoting Lady Gaga. Okay? Oh, you know her. Oh, Okay. And so let me listen to what you have to say, and then he even compliments their spirituality, men of Athens. I notice you are very religious. He actually was upset with that, but he doesn't go, "Oh, you know, you're condemned, and you know all this kind of stuff." No, he gets he gets where they where they here, here's here's why he did it. First Corinthians nine twenty two, when I am with those who are oppressed, I share their their oppression so that I might bring some of them to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone. Why? So that I might bring them to Christ. He's trying to find common ground so that the gospel can be conveyed. I do all of this to spread the good news and in doing this, uh, I enjoy its blessing. How could he do that if he didn't know the culture and he studied the culture? Rather than waging war on the culture, he tried to find common ground with it. So if you're going to be effective, you need to know the culture. Second thing you need to know is The gospel. The gospel. The gospel must be proclaimed. Notice that Paul doesn't go into each city and immediately search out the nearest soup kitchen so that he can earn the right to be heard before preaching the gospel to the people. Now, that's a good principle, but I'm going to be real honest with you here. You know Seacoast is is all about serving the community. We're everywhere in the community. But these days, it is hip cool to serve the community. It's very hip to love the poor. And I think that's great. The church is doing it, the uh, music culture is doing it, Hollywood does it, and it's great. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. If, if we give clothes and fix houses and give out water, but we don't somehow proclaim the gospel, we're being real nice, but we haven't cured the sickness. It is the gospel that has the power to save And if the gospel isn't proclaimed, then nobody's going to hear it. And they're not going to know any different. And there's going to be the same stuff over and over and over again. And so we just need to infuse everything we do with the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is this. I'm a sinner. My sin separates me from God. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life here on earth. He died for my sin, was punished for my sin... And then he rose again, proving that he was God, had the power of God, so that I can have uh, peace with God forever if I receive him as my sacrifice. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. So you need to know the gospel. You need to proclaim the gospel. Contextualize it in your own situation. It doesn't mean that the first time you have a conversation, you go totally into the gospel. Maybe it's on the fifth conversation or the seventh conversation, but it needs to be a part of the conversation if there is going to be life change and community change. Spurgeon, I love his quote, says, the gospel is like a caged lion. It does not need to be defended. It just needs to be let out of its cage. And the third thing you do to be prepared, uh, you study the culture, know the gospel, practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. Just the, the more you share, the more you go, all right, God, here am I. Open up conversations that make a difference, the better you get at it. It's just as simple as that. All right, so let me, let me, give, you the, let me give you the third principle that I see in the overall thing. Number one, you be intentional. Number two, you be prepared. The third thing is you expect results. If you share the good news, Expect results. Paul was effective. In Thessalonica, it says some Jews were persuaded and and large numbers of God-fearing Greeks and a few prominent women. In Berea, he had success. As a result, many Jews believed. Prominent Greek women and many men. In Athens, some joined him and became believers. You can expect a return on the investment that you make in the name of Christ. Does that mean everybody that you shared Jesus with, all your friends and family and all that, are going to become believers and they're just going to grow in the Lord? No, not necessarily. But I love the next scripture. It's in your outline sheet. Paul says this. He says, My job was to plant the seed in your hearts. And someone else watered it, but it was God, not us, who made it grow. And the ones who do the planting or the watering aren't important, but God's important because He is the one who makes the seed grow. Here's, here's all that means. Is it you just do your part? When I'm on an airplane and like I was this past week and there was a guy sitting next to me who, um, you know, when he found out what I do for a living, it was like, you could tell there was a sense of guilt in him. You know, it's like, I, you know, I I should be going to church. I shouldn't be doing the, you know, church thing or whatever, but I just really am not. And so I just was offered a quick prayer to the Lord. God, what part am I to play in this guy's Redemption process because you love him. Is this a harvesting time? Is this a planting time? Just plant a seed. Is this a watering time? What What, what am I supposed to do? Is I a little conversation, connect with him on music. I like music. He liked music. And did he? You know, pray the sinner's prayer and come to Jesus. No, will he? God's drawing him. God's bringing him in. My part was to was just to water what somebody else had already been plant. Somebody here in our team had already been planting actually. And that's what makes this that's what I love about Seacoast is it's a team evangelism thing. Okay? You don't have to be able to do the whole deal. You just need to be infusing the gospel in your daily lifestyle. It's just bringing it to your mind just every day saying, "God, use me today." And maybe God will use you to plant a seed or maybe water a seed that somebody else is doing or maybe bring somebody to church with you on the weekend or Easter. Everybody in the South goes to church on Easter. It's like fishing in a stock pond. You just bring them with you, and maybe you plant a seed. Maybe I water the seed. Who knows? But it's a team deal. Here's the good news. We all get rewarded for it. Next verse. The one who plants and the one who waters work as a team with the same purpose, and yet they will be rewarded individually according to their own work. So what's the reward? Somebody in television asked me this week. I said, okay, you know, Seacoast is you know, whatever. And so what's the biggest reward for you these days? I said, it's the same all days. My reward is two words. Changed lives. Changed lives. Last night I looked at somebody on the front row. Husband and wife. He was an agnostic. She got him to church. He came over and over and over again. He had all kinds of questions. At some point something happened. Usually it's hard things that happen in in our lives that make us really draw to God. Something hard happened. She had been planting a seed. I'd been watering the seed. Someone else was in the room when the seed was harvested. We went out to eat with them just a couple of weeks ago. They told me their story. I went home and wept. Changed lives. Reward. Reward, reward. Standing in the foyer after the last service, somebody came up to me and said, I got baptized today. By the way, we're here at Long Point. We're having baptisms today. Be prepared for it. Maybe you didn't come to prepare to be baptized. This girl didn't. But she just came tears in her eyes. And she said, I just want to thank you for providing an environment that led me this far that today was the day I decided it's time to be baptized. Change lives. You share in that. There is nothing greater than seeing Change life. We all do that. What if What if we all took this seriously? What if we all did this? What if we all just say, we're going to be intentional in our daily lifestyle. We're going to work to be prepared and we're going to see results. What if we all said, you know what? I'm going to quit being a consumer of the gospel. A consumer of the gospel is one that keeps score. You come in, oh, that was a good service. I'm telling you what. The worship was good. Check. I really got fed. Check. I'm going to come back next week. Check. That's a consumer. That's a consumer. You know, God bless you, but you don't get it. A conveyor of the gospel is where it's at. That's where we're all, we're being changed by the gospel and we're in, during the week we're conveyed and we're coming together to celebrate on the weekend. And it's not about us and it's not about consuming. It's about changed lives that we're all involved in. If we would all Take it. And you know why, why this church is continues to grow? is because most of you get it. I hear it from you all the time. Sometimes I'll be out in the foyer and you'll go, I got my neighbor here. Don't blow it today, okay? It's like, all right, let's go. Let's do this thing, okay? Let's pray. God, thank you today. Lord, help us to be able ministers of the gospel. God, draw us to you and change our lives and use us to impact people around us. God, may we see in people like Paul and your servants in the Bible examples of who we could be. God, we just commit this time, this response time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.